This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is Canadian drummer and educator Neil LaFortune. In recent years, Neil has stayed busy with tribute acts such as ABBA Revisited, a police tribute called Message in a Bottle, as well as many other tribute acts in the U.S. and abroad. Neil's work included gigs with his duo Sticks and Tones, as well as rising Canadian country singer Megan Patrick opening up for the likes of Rascal Flatts, Dwight Yoakam, and Kiefer Sutherland. In 2020, Neil started hosting a weekly interview series called The Gretsch Afternoon Drum Break, featuring Gretsch artists from Canada, the U.S., and abroad. If you're interested in finding out more about this episode and all of the over 250 episodes that we've done here at Working Drummer Podcast, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, where you can subscribe to us. You can also follow us and subscribe to us on Spotify. Check us out there. If Patreon isn't your thing, then we have a PayPal option on our website. You can go there and make a one-time donation. We appreciate everyone's help over the years in keeping this podcast going strong. As many of you know, in recent months, our podcast has been supported by Buyer Snare Drums. In this episode, we've got a great example by Nashville session drummer Mark Beckett. And also from his solo CD, Shapes, we've got an example from David Northrup and his impeccable shuffle. My connection with Neil is another great example of how the podcast here that Zach and I have created has helped make connection within our drumming community. We met on a gig. It was great to tell him about the podcast and then get to know Neil a little bit more and see what he's done and what he's created over time. I encourage you to check out the Gretsch Afternoon Drum Break. He's got some great uh, guests on there. They talk about more than just Gretsch drums, but uh, cover a lot of useful and helpful topics to the working drummer. So I encourage you to check out the Gretsch Afternoon Drum Break. I believe it's on Instagram right now with plans to expand that. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Neil LaFortune. I do play um, a few months of the year in the States and, and there's just so much more market to draw from mm-hmm. whether I'm playing in the duo that I, that I have called sticks and tones in Florida, there's just so many places to play. So, um, and so there's the advantage of having just a sheer number of opportunities. Um, and then in the tribute world, a, a good deal of our places that we play are in the States. We do a lot of soft seat theaters with the Abu revisited tribute that I play in. And so, um, so that is definitely one big plus is that you you guys have so many more places to draw from rather than than here and here with it being a, a limited as far as the number of places you know there's still a lot of musicians and it's kind of fighting again for for the smaller amount of of gigs so it can be harder to play one kind of genre or to be in one thing and make a living. Whereas I haven't really done one thing for a number of years. I've had to do by nature many different things playing. For example, playing with Megan Patrick was an absolute uh, thrill. So playing in the country world was great, playing in the tribute world as well as teaching. So I needed to juggle those things and gladly would would play many different styles of music and uh, with as many different people as possible 
So that is one of the big differences that I see up here is just we just don't have the amount of work. And I know some some great Canadian drummers have gone to the States and have done very well. Randy Cook being one of them has Mm -hmm. been in Los Angeles now for for many years and is is, uh, one of the one of the top session guys and plays with some some bigger bands. So he kind of outgrew this area. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's pretty typical of uh, even people that live in maybe smaller communities or live in, quote unquote, non-music towns that aren't as, you know, uh, forgiving uh, on the gig (laughs) front um, in that sense. Yeah. And I just as I've met uh, some indie artists or songwriters throughout Canada, they have a different approach. There seems to be Correct me if I'm wrong, but there seems to be more support for the arts in general. Is that correct? Uh, it sometimes doesn't feel like it is. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> it, it really doesn't. But I, I don't know. I think it's it's up here. It seems to be a little bit more of kind of a, a fringe kind of occupation. I think like it is, as you were saying, in, in other smaller uh, parts of America that may not be uh, music towns or might just not have the the volume uh, of as a big city does. Yeah. Uh, when I was living in Columbus in Ohio, uh, friends were moving to Nashville and they would come back and visit me and they said, you have to come down. Mm-hmm. Um, people see musicians and people working in the industry as a yeah. legitimate career and you're not looked down upon, you're not people aren't hounding you like, okay, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to grow up? Like that never enters the conversation because it's just the attitude is different. Just from Ohio to Tennessee, you know? Wow. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, that was a real point to make to to me in that current situation. I'm going, really? Wow. (laughs) Right, right. And how far of a drive would that have been really from where you were to, to Nashville? Like seven hours. Okay, so still a fair, but but it's amazing, right? I, we yeah. still get that. I was buying a car a few years ago, and the business manager lady said, so what do you do? And I told her, and she's like, oh, okay. She goes, I dated a, a, a musician, and, and and she was joking about the real job thing. And she's like, well, you know, well, what was your, let's see what your income was. And she was surprised that it was as good as it was, <laughs> because, you know, there's that stigma attached to being a musician that you, that you starve or that you, and believe me, I was never one to want <laughs> to starve because uh, I just wasn't into that kind of thing. So there's a little bit of that, especially where I am. I'm 90 minutes north of Toronto. So, but some, but, but they all think it's cool. Man, you're a drummer. This is awesome. This is, yeah, this yeah. Is, my son plays drums. Oh, how old is he? He's 11. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really fun. So they, they kind of get, you know, it's a little bit different, but that's, that's neat. It's only seven hours away from Nashville and all of a sudden it's a legitimate career, right? Uh, I want to jump right in to Gretsch Afternoon drum break yeah tell me about this well it was something that began uh in late april I, it was a monday morning i remember sitting in the living room one monday morning scrolling through facebook and saw that a friend of mine was going to be interviewed by dom famulero and i'm like what a great well i know this guy and i've met dom and then a, an idea popped into my head like why don't i interview 
fellow Gretsch drum endorsers. I knew some Canadian endorsers, and we didn't know how long the, uh, COVID was going to last. We thought, okay, it might be a month, might be a little bit more than that. So there's 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 a handful of Canadian Gretsch endorsers. I'm going to reach out to them and see if they'd be interested in doing something like this. So. Um, I, I made a list of the, the, the drummers that I knew from Canada, Chad Melchert, Gerard Gannon, um, Noel Webb, and, and the, one of the last ones I reached out to was Paul DeLong, because I thought, oh man, Paul's, Paul's a, a legendary Canadian drummer, and, um, and he's been a, a USA Gretsch artist for, I'm not sure, maybe five years or so, and, but he's always been a Gretsch owner, Gretsch lover, and whatnot, so I was surprised at how overwhelmingly positive the response was to me asking these folks if they'd be interested in being a guest on this live podcast, video cast. I didn't even know what to call it. <laughs> and 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 when I was so happy when Paul said, "Yeah, I'm totally in. I'm I'm excited." And then the f- next Friday, literally, sorry, it was that Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The first episode happened, and we're 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 we've done twenty of them now, yeah. and it's been it's been so unbelievable, and lots more happening. So it's been so it was it was to replace uh, all the touring and the live gigs that Aber revisited wasn't going to be doing. We uh-huh. had a tour cancel and a bunch of my other even local gigs. So it was probably at that point close to a hundred shows were were canceled or postponed, and I needed something creative. Yes. And I needed something to sink my teeth into, so thus the show began. Yes, you're a doer, man. Uh, I think that we, we, we've, we've come from the same spot where I remember I was on the road and I, I, I was I, I laying in bed by myself. I'm like, podcast. I, I got to do oh, something awesome. creative and yeah. something to call my own. And I'm not sure what it is, but... It just has to start, and then it will reveal itself. And it sounds like from the point of conception to the first episode, that was that for you. It's like, I don't know what to call this, but we're going Mm -hmm. to do it, and it will reveal itself. And I had the same experience. I reached out to just within my grasp who was on my phone, Nick Buda, Keo Stroud, and they, they were like, that sounds great. Like, I hadn't even... I don't even know if we hadn't come up with a logo. We were, you know, workshopping right. the name. But man, yeah. and and my my friend uh, Mike Jackson, who was helping me, is like, well, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. I said, no, let's. I'm I'm booking the first interview right now. And he's like, yeah. but we don't even have the logo. I'm like, I don't care. It's going to be yeah. in the can. It's not live like yours is. But I think that's what lights a fire under you is when you just yeah. pull the trigger and say, hey, I'm I'm I'm, I'm jumping. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I remember walking our golden Charlie out. Uh, I live just outside of uh, a town of Aurelia, and uh, I'm walking to this beautiful park area, and the name just popped into my head: the Gretsch Afternoon Drum Break. Like a drum break, it was a play on on the phrase of like a little a little drum. Yeah like a James Brown kind of drum break uh, superimposed with coffee break. It's like to give the drummers a little break in the afternoons. You can just shut your mind off from work or whatever and listen in. And that was, I'm like, Hey, I really like this. You know, when you just know when it feels right and it feels good, when you listen to that voice, 
that's what happened on, in my case, and it sounds like it was similar to you. Yeah. So where where can people find this? What what is the schedule? What is the platform? Right now, they are Instagram Live. They have been Instagram Live um, since day one, and they are 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Friday. And I also have a Facebook page, Gretch Afternoon Drum Break, and you will see the lovely um, – there's my a picture of my actual coffee mug that I use during the show. It's my little <laughs> trademark thing. I know. And as well as I took a photo of my um, – the warranty card from one of my Gretsch snare drums that yeah. I ordered. So I, I asked uh, Fred and Dinah Gretsch if it was okay if I were to use their slogan for just for the pictures and um, and and the logo just for the picture on my page, and, and they said that they'd be honored. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. And so if, uh, they're, they're Fridays. At least they're on Instagram. They're on Instagram at least for the next little while. But I will be changing platforms to something where it's going to stream to different places. It'll be to YouTube and to Facebook and, and other places simultaneously. And people can access older shows? Or go they back. are on, yes, they are actually on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And um, um, it's actually, um, the YouTube channel is called D.A. Gretsch Guy, all one word, capital D, like Da Gretsch Guy. So I think I need to change that to maybe the Gretsch Afternoon Drum Break so it's easier to find. But that's where they are currently. Yeah. So uh, Fred and Dinah at Gretsch, mm-hmm. my... Um, father-in-law and stepmother-in-law were on a cruise in Egypt about six years ago. Wow. On the, on a, on the, <clears throat> what's, whatever the famous river is there, I should know this. Uh, the Nile. The Nile. Jeez. Mm-hmm. I was in denial. I was in denial. <laughs> hi Yeah. <laughs> and they're having, they're having dinner with this family. They've been assigned to this table and it turned out to be oh. Fred and Dinah. Wow. So they, they That's come. That's nuts. Yeah, they come back from their trip to show us pictures, and they've got this Gretsch brochure, and they're like, look, we met these people, we had no idea, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's 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 a trip. Yeah, it's it's legendary. They've been so wonderful to me. Fred uh, Fred tunes into the show, Dynatune. They tune into the show. They're um, big Travis Tripp fans, and so they watched the David Northrup yeah. interview from a few weeks ago, and uh, they watched the Seth Roush one. And Fred asks questions, and and it's wonderful. In fact, we we chat a little bit through Instagram, and and I'm just just blown away. And Fred was so kind to send me a little package. Um, with a, it was the 60th anniversary of the Gretsch night at Birdland, so it was a little card, and he wrote a personal note in there saying how much he enjoyed the show, that they're big fans, and and I'm humbled. And it's here in the drum room, and uh, it's it means a lot to me. That's amazing, man. It's amazing. Yeah. And it, it's just just to think that, especially growing up, and we see these people and we hear about these people, whether yeah. it's in magazines or other things, they seem very untouchable, but as as you are discovering, and as I have discovered over the years, that people are very accessible, and it, it just speaks mm-hmm. volume volumes of our community, and uh, that's such great news, man. Um, yeah. What have you learned? It's been it's been twenty episodes. Uh, I mean, what is there any like amazing takeaways that after your decades of playing that from this short time? You've gone, how did I not know that? 
I, I know. Well, one of the things that actually, let me back up and say that perhaps the the show was a little bit of a, of a learning something for me so that I could learn possibly some some insight from all of these other successful musicians what what it was that I could learn so that I could apply it to my playing career yeah. and a lot of the takeaways is that there's there's just there's no simple formula of mm-hmm. course and and but there's there's uh, several things that have been consistent with everybody I'm asking the question every week what is it that separates you why do you have some success as opposed to someone who is has been trying for a long time and has never really gotten that break and um they basically say that you you definitely need to have your playing together you need to be playing music for the right reasons you shouldn't be chasing this to be a star to to get rich you should be chasing this dream so that you could sincerely play music with other human beings. And the other thing is that you need to be a good person and not to be a jerk and not to be difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. And even though you may have some emotional challenges from being away from home, you just can't bring that to the stage. You can't bring that to your, the group of people that you're traveling with. Um, And we've all experienced having, you know, one or two of those people on the road with you sometimes. And do they get called back for the gig? Generally not. So the takeaways is that there's no one way to do things. You're going to have your own journey and then you need to be a good hang. And, and Chris Fryer was great when, when I asked him that question and he said, well, success is relative to what you think it is. And I'm like, well, of course it's relative. He said, so your version of success may be playing in a club part-time with your friends and playing in a good band where somebody else's idea of success is being play, is playing with Zach Brown or playing in a, in a stadium full of people. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it, it very much so. And it's interesting. I have a, a friend and a listener that uh, said it was, a, it was, a, it was a few years ago, but uh, we were messaging back and forth and, and he said, if I hear an, one more person say, you've got to be a good hang on the road, I'm going to puke. <clears throat> And, right. and it's like I get it because it was a it was a reoccurring theme, and yes. I think I played into that in the conversation, uh, very much so. But man, I, I I have to push back on that a little bit because I continue to run into people whose attitude and and there's been times that I've personally struggled with my attitude on gigs and on the road and stuff like that. That it's like I'm sorry, but this cannot be. Uh, stressed enough and maybe yeah. this is the first episode of my show or your show that someone is listening to and if that comes up hopefully it resonates with them to help yeah. them trying to you know achieve that find that well um, you have Michael Grando yes uh, who lives like uh, you know a stone's throw from from me uh, that's going to be a fun episode uh, he's coming up tomorrow you're going to be interviewing him tomorrow yes that's uh, right yep so uh 2 p.m eastern time check that out um he uh, played drums with joe diffie and that's going to be fascinating joe was someone we lost earlier 
I uh, just, you know, maybe three or four months ago from right. this yeah. pandemic. Uh, and that was a tough one. That's been a great gig for Michael. And it sounds like Joe was an amazing artist to work for. Yeah. So, yeah. man, good luck with that. I, th- I think it's going to be that. it's going to be great. It's going to be funny. It's going to be emotional. Michael's a good dude. I, I've heard nothing but great things um, and looking and I like to research as you do my guests beforehand and mm-hmm. I want to find out who they've played with what they played on and I was listening to some Chris Knight material as well I had no idea I, I was not aware of Chris Knight for some crazy reason and I was listening to uh, one of I think it was um, uh, no no victories some, I forget the name of the album mm-hmm. but I listened to that whole album and it was holy smokes, I can't believe how great the music is and how great Michael's playing is on that. And I messaged Michael right away saying, man, like I, I'm so looking forward to... You know how you feel like you get to know somebody a little bit better when you listen to them play? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's how it is. It's like it gives you a little glimpse into their personality, things that maybe, well, you can't certainly can't tell from, from an online bio, but it gives you an, uh, an idea as to how it might... What the personality is like, so I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm convinced that our personalities come out in our playing, especially when you <laughs> when you know somebody and you can kind of put two and two together, and it's like, yeah. man, this guy has a nut job. And then you go see them play, and you, you you're you're like, man, his playing, his drumming is just like he is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael's uh, uh, thoughtful, and um, and it just has a great great time feel. In your preparation, I mean, I'm imagining we kind of do similar things. There's so much information online. Is that how yep. do you prepare? I I will go, I will ask them first of all. I'll ask the guest if they have a bio, and a lot of times they will have a bio, so they'll send it to me. But I almost don't want to read everything about them. I almost want it there to be a little element of surprise. However. <laughs> I also don't want to miss something key that they have done in their career. Like, oh, geez, I didn't realize that you played on all of those Garth Brooks songs or just for an example. Right. So yeah. I, I prepare either. So I'll get a bio or I will go to different sites and then see what is written about them. Obviously, there's going to be some things on the Gretsch drum site for uh, for my guests. So I will go on and go, oh, geez, I didn't realize that you played with those uh, 40 different artists on there. And then yeah. I will listen to I will go and I will listen to the music and just to kind of see how uh, different it may be how disparate their influences are and just dig a little bit and in fact with the michael grando i listened to your show the working drummer podcast listen to to that and i'm like i love your interview style and and i learned a lot from you by the way and i I mentally would take notes on my drive to my gig every thursday Ah, when i would play and i'm like i really like that i really like how you give guests space and i try to do the same thing so thanks man i feel like you're doing that with me too Well, that's the idea. I know. My wife's like, it'll get different for you because, like, you're usually the one asking questions. So. But it, it's a trip. And to be honest, I'm like going, man, I hope I don't suck. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, again, we edit all this. So this oh, this is, is good. Yeah, Neil, this will be a tight five minutes, man. This is going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to deal with I'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Our snare drum feature of the week is the Buyer 4x15, performed by Nashville session player Mark Beckett. I've always loved um, watching interviews and, and I read biographies, autobiographies. I love watching those uh, VH1 behind the scenes, the story of Def Leppard and Kiss. And I really like that. And I just, I don't know, maybe this was something that I should have done a while ago um, doing an interview kind of thing because it interests me and I'm thinking, well, if it interests me, it must uh, interest at least one other person out there. So there's, there's definitely an art and Barbara Walters and all of those wonderful interviews at Bradley, many, many of them, there's a real art and a real craft. And I'm assuming that they did go to school for this, but I'm certainly learning um, on the fly and, and I do watch my shows every week and and sometimes I cringe and sometimes I'm happy with the results I had the best time uh, with Morgan Ograin and that was an absolutely wonderful interview where we just just hit it off and and he spoke a whole lot and told some wonderful stories um, about Frank Zappa and just his whole foray into Gretsch drums. And then I've had some other interviewers where they were, it was a little bit more, where it was hard to get information out of them and hard yeah. to get them to, to talk. But once we did, and you learn how to to prod, like you and I have no problem conversing whatsoever. Yeah, some right. guests and it's just some other folks, like maybe a bass player. I'm kidding. Not really. Um, <laughs> Sometimes for bass player. Sometimes you just don't say a whole lot to them. Even though it's a good relationship, sometimes you, they just aren't real talkers. Exactly, know? exactly. It's not any, it's not <laughs> reflective on who they are as people. No, but at all. Yeah. Yeah. And that yeah. and that is the challenge. So I mean, you're very articulate. You do you do a really great job uh, it, at these interviews, man. I've enjoyed oh, them it. and <laughs> and watched them. And I think that there's going to be times that it, it there might be a challenge that that will reveal itself that you've never experienced before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With 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 a with a, a great drummer or you know whoever that it's like oh man I got to pull out all the stops to make sure that this goes well. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, is there anyone on the horizon that you're hoping to interview? I would absolutely love to interview Cindy Blackman Santana. I would love to interview Hannah uh, Ford Welton. Uh She used to play with Prince. Um, I would love to interview, and this hopefully will happen, um, Mr. Carl Brazil from Robbie Williams and James Blunt and and Sessions. and oh man, so many of them. I look at the the Gretsch roster, and I'm thinking, man, man, okay. I, I, what about him? You know, Stanton Moore would be wonderful. Mike yeah. Johnston. I would love to interview uh, Lucas von Gretsch. Actually, it's Lucas O'Connor. He is um, Fred Gretsch's nephew, and we've spoken many, many times. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll. I'll do an interview one of these days, and he's he worked in the family business for some time. Uh, he said, "When if you're really stuck, I'll do it." So we may actually pre-record something like that and and release that as a perhaps as bonus content. 
mm-hmm. down the road a little bit. Yeah. So com- coming up, we have uh, Sean Paddock. Yeah. Kenny Chesney. Oh, that's going to be a trip. And uh, Bart Robley is going to be on. Yeah. Um, I know. And that's how I discovered Bart was your show. Oh, so listen well, to that. That's great. Yeah. And reached out to him. And what a great guy now. That is an organized cat, man. He's like, okay, I've got some logos. I've got some promo material. And uh, let me know what you need. And I'm yes. like, I like this. Yes. And some drummers, it's like, hmm. Uh, I'm going to have to scan some photos. <laughs> now, right. You know, we're, we're, again, we're talking middle-aged, pro- pro- well, predominantly males, and some of them just kind of aren't into the social media thing, which is all good. And um, so, some, it's, so it's different. And I'm liking the cross-section of people that I get to speak with. So it's, it's a trip for me. Bart, Bart was a great interview, great guest, yeah. and uh, got to know him uh, through a listener. And oh, okay. was introduced via the listener and uh, Bart. I use his books with my students. Mm-hmm. I really love his open book. So it, th- that kind of opens up the world and hopefully can steer uh, other yep. teachers and other listeners in that in in that direction to you know be a valuable resource for uh, him and other teachers that we've spoken to. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really great. Well, speaking of of Gretsch and the and the, yes. the 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 relationship that is developed with these companies, uh, it, it's kind of one of the key components in finding support or getting an endorsement. In other words, right. uh, with companies is and it's been talked about and stressed often is that if you're looking for support, if you're looking for an endorsement from a company, it starts with the relationship. And yeah. you sounds like you're it's like you you're it's easy for you to reach out and make those contacts and cultivate those relationships. Could you mm-hmm. speak on this? Sure. Um, I, I think it all began probably in the early 2000s when when I had discovered eBay, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. So I, I found that I had good success selling drums and drum items, symbols, stands, hardware, whatnot. I just enjoyed the interaction with potential buyers, and I loved creating the ads and, and all the pictures and, and everything that would go into making the sales successful. So to me, and, and I also taught at a drum shop for 20 years. I taught at a place called Drummer's Choice, which um, was around for over 20 years and is is now does not do retail any longer longer. Um, but I was in that environment where it was definitely uh, a person-to-person customer service, whether I was teaching or uh, whether they were asking about certain products and things like that. And I'd always loved Gretsch drums. This, this I think I bought my first Gretsch drum set when I was playing drums for probably six months. I endured uh, a Stuart set that I had first. It was a lovely yellow marine pearl kit. And I, I remember getting this, this Gretsch kit 
and just falling in love with the sound of it. I, I went to every drum shop in Toronto and hit every brand of drums. And and as soon as I found this little kit in the cymbal testing room at Toronto Percussion, which is no longer around, I'm like, that's the sound I've had in my head. So I've had an affinity and love for Gretsch drums since 1986. Wow. And once it uh, certainly is a long time. And I think r- around 2007, um, this was when Fender had purchased <clears throat> or had, had come into partnership with Gretchen to distribute their drums. Um, I had spoken to the to the vice president of uh, the distributor, B&J Music in Canada, and we were talking about a, a Zildjian and Gretsch endorsement for me. And it just happened that I picked the worst time and Fender had bought them and had bought the purchased the rights to do the distribution. So they said, we don't really know what's going to happen. So we have to say no for now. Mm-hmm. So fast forward uh, 2018, I was uh, doing uh, an East Coast Canada tour with Aber Revisited of, of 20 plus dates. And I wanted to see if there were any Gretsch drums available anywhere that I could rent or use. And so I messaged uh, David McAllister, who was the vice president at B&J Music, the distributor. And he was interested and said, well, send me your CV. And I, I had no idea what a CV is. It's So it's a short little bio or resume. Yeah. And I sent him this with some pictures and what ABBA was, ABBA Revisited was doing and with all this. And then from that, they offered me the endorsement deal. And because I think I was playing in front of a lot of people and I have a, a tremendous passion for Gretsch drums and for spreading the word. And if you were to see my my drum room right now you would you would understand why and uh, i have a problem but it's a good problem and even my <laughs> license plate on my car matt is yeah. Gretsch one which is which is pretty oh yeah it's pretty crazy so but as far as the regal tip endorsement they are wonderful i've been a regal uh tip product endorser since 2005 okay. and I had a great relationship with Carol Collado when she was there, and they were wonderful to to. They were interested in what I was doing, and I was playing with a country artist, uh, Mark Eakins, whom I play in the duo with now, Sticks and Tones, and we were playing a lot of shows, opening for some bigger Canadian bands, and playing an awful lot. And so that relationship was born from the Regal. Uh, for, sorry, the Regal Tip was uh, endorsement was born out of that. And then Dream Symbols came about um, in later in in 2018. Right. So, and it's been it's been really great and and mutually beneficial for for both um, myself and the companies. I won't play a brand uh, if if I don't like it. I really won't. And um, and man, oh man, I'm, I certainly do love what I play. I think that's what's most important is that you discovered the product first, and then yeah. you're like. And uh, over years, especially with Gretsch, and then seeing an opportunity to say, I think there is a mutual, mutually beneficial relationship that, that can happen here. I've got something to offer to the company. The company obviously right. has something to offer to me, but a lot of times people mm-hmm. don't make that connection, that it's a two-way street here. Yes, yes. You know? Uh, endorsements for a lot of especially, especially people that are maybe n- new to the business or whatever that yes. you know they think that oh, it's free that means free it does not it does not no. always i mean there no. there's a there's a percentage that that may be free uh yes. but uh, especially in 2020 
Uh, no. So oh, so explain what that means. What and what exactly is endorsement? Um, as, as far as I know, there are the different levels of endorsements. If I were Vinnie Colaiuta or if I were Neil Peart, I would be getting um, free gear, I would, I would imagine, and possibly receiving some money on top of that. I would imagine that Neil from Rush, I don't know officially, I would imagine that he could probably have whatever he wanted from the DW factory. And perhaps there was some kind of... Uh, payment as well um i i my endorsement is a wonderful um deal where there is a a really great discount on the products and i remember when they sent me the price list and i'm like so what do these numbers mean what does map mean what does you know what does retail mean oh and there's the artist price so it's it's quite the discount um, which, which is uh, otherwise, I would have had a hard time to pay retail for um, a high-end snare drum. Pay, you know, spending a thousand dollars or or mm-hmm. in and amongst in and around there would have been a bit tough. It might have been a once every couple of years, and now with the endorsement, it makes it affordable enough so that I can get something um, at least once a year. <laughs> My first endorsement snare drum was. Um, a six and a half by fourteen USA custom bronze drum, which I absolutely adored, and my most recent one is the Brooklyn five by fourteen chrome over brass. And yes. man, and for the money, yeah, I, uh, just with with the, the the different lines of Gretsch drums, I don't need to buy a Supra as much as I've I've had Supras and I've had Slingerland snare drums. I got rid of everything because we have enough in the product line enough breadth and depth in the line that i can cover any musical situation that i want and you get the support from the company as well oh man yeah yeah if there's any issues i i speak to either josh safer or paul cooper at the factory Mm -hmm. and they're like just send it to me i in fact i i before i was an endorser i had some some issues with a, a bottom bearing edge and and paul said ship it to me so i shipped it to him and he fixed it himself and sent it back and the drum just sang so and you know over the years with the uh with the butt plate coming loose the uh the snare strainer the adjustment was coming loose he'd send me a brand new product so they definitely definitely take care of me and even before i was an endorser now it's just it seems like it might be a little bit faster yeah Mm-hmm. Man, that's great. That's great, and and yeah. it's so great that you've made that connection, and yeah. uh, that's that's awesome. Uh, I want to talk about where you live and mm-hmm. uh, the career that you've built, and I know you've lived in a couple different places, mm-hmm. but um, there are so many people that are living in maybe a little bit smaller community, or maybe not in uh, Toronto or a Nashville or New York or even Atlanta that have a passion for music and want to create uh, either uh, their definition of success, whether it's working on the weekends or trying to make music a full-time thing. So how does uh, explain where I you know you explain it as cottage country, and, yes. and uh, I had a chance to go up there uh, a couple times with Michelle, and it's mm-hmm. stunning. It's so beautiful, but it is that place where a lot of people, and especially a lot of people from the city in Toronto, that's where they go on the three day weekends, four day weekends. 
That's right. Yeah. That's right. So I live in Aurelia, Ontario, which is, um, I guess it's actually a city of about just over 30,000 people. So 90 minutes or so north of Toronto. It is uh, cottage country, as you said. And in fact, I live about maybe a couple hundred yards away from Lake Simcoe, a very large lake. And it is absolutely beautiful here. We have a, a, a gorgeous home uh, on a nice piece of property that my, my wife, uh, Kim, actually had when we met, first met. And um, and it's a great place to to play music from, you know what I mean, as a, as a hub. So, for example, there was a lot of country music, and there are still a lot of country music in, in the rural areas and some places to play. So back in 2005, I started playing with Mark Eakins when we were a country band. And then over the last maybe oh, seven or eight years, we have seen a decline in full band um, availabilities and, and more venues hiring more singles and duos we started a duo which uh, affords us the opportunity to play several times a week if we wanted to before COVID we were playing probably three gigs a week on average plus private events and things so we adapted to the the socioeconomic uh, climate by having the duo and I actually play a set of Roland V drums on that on the round badge patch, I might add, <laughs> and and um, so we're able to work a, a fair bit in smaller places, and as I said, in, in, in private things as well, playing all kinds of music, um, from country music to pop to folk to to uh, Celtic music and, and whatnot. But also from living here, I'm also able to play and commute uh, with the tribute act that, that I was talking yeah. about playing with Aber Revisited. And we are maybe an hour and a bit drive to Pearson Airport, and we, we pool together and we fly out, whether we're flying to California, whether we're playing Texas or, or Georgia or Florida, all those kind of places. This is actually... It, 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 I'm not, I don't have to live in Toronto or a suburb, Mississauga, to make a living. We found a way to make it work and be adaptable. And by playing in the duo, by having the teaching that I have, I, yeah. I teach three, three days a week here at, at, in the home studio, and as well as playing in the tribute act. Uh, and again, once, um, uh, soft seat theaters are, are opening up. So it's, it's been, a really good balance. Here's David Northrup performing on the six and a half by fourteen buyer snare drum. Tell me about what you've been doing with your studio and during this shutdown time, are you teaching remotely? I am actually, I was teaching, I, I, I didn't teach at all. I think from March until uh, it must've been, <clears throat> I think it was July or so when I started, when things kind of eased up here on um, with, with the amount of cases. And um, so I started teaching at home, both the student and I wear masks and we're far enough apart and we sanitize when the students come in and when they leave and I wipe everything down so it's it's been good and so we renovated the 
um, part of the garage to where I can teach in here. And, and they, we have a separate entrance here. The kids can come in here. Parents can come in and sit if they like as well. And, and it's been, been really great because I used to teach somewhere in the neighborhood of only probably about maybe 10 students a week from home. I used to teach full time. I used to teach up to 45 students a week. Wow. It was a lot, a lot of, yeah, that's what I didn't play out as much. My, my son was small. My daughter was, was, was just born. So I was teaching a lot rather than traveling and playing. But the last mm, several years I've been teaching from home. And when, uh, when I am home, I was teaching probably three days a week and, and maybe 10, 10 students or 12 students a week, something like that. But it's a great environment here and we're self-contained and, and, and it, it's a really great little space that I have. Yeah. And, and it's great. I've seen it, of course, with all the pictures of the, of your yes. drums and you've got two kids set up and it's just, mm-hmm. it, it looks amazing. Thank uh, you. uh, it is, if there is one, Thing you want every student to take away from their time with you? That, what that? What? What might that be? Mm, there might be a few things. Um, I, I would like all of the students to be able to have basic knowledge of notes and values and be able to count and know where they are in, in a piece of music, but also to listen to the music and listen to the chord changes, listen to the music around the drums, listen to what the bass player is playing. Remember when I studied with Jim Blackley, he would say that the bass player is the most important person in the band. He said, because they are both rhythmic and they are harmonic. Mm-hmm. And if you can listen to the bass player and play something that is going to work with them, they will guide your hands and feet. And I thought that was an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. Playing all kinds of styles of music, be versatile, have some background playing jazz, have some background uh, playing blues, rock, not just one little thing, but sometimes I will throw on a country song and the, the student will like, wow, I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. So have, have their ears open, have um, their mind open for sure to be um, not close minded. But I don't like jazz or I don't like heavy metal. I don't like hip hop. You've got to, you know, you, you never know what you're going to play. Right. You might discover and you might discover something that you really love that you didn't. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. It, just uh, growing the world. Well, when you had your student roster, how did you build up to that, uh, all those students? It might have been a combination um, because we were at a retail store and there were, I think we had up to 250 students a week that would come in and out of this drum shop in Brampton, Ontario. This place was hopping back in the day that every one of the teachers was a full-time player slash teacher. They were very, very strongly educated. They were really great teachers. Um, we had, uh, we, we used to, div- we would have meetings once a month and we would discuss a curriculum. Should we have a curriculum, yay or nay? And so through, um, 
discussions with the other teachers, we did build a curriculum that was like um, like the wheel. It was based, you had certain different concepts and ideas and different topics that we would build upon and we would have a grading system. So that was a combination of just having sheer numbers coming into the store as well as having a really good teaching program with a really good teachers and a great reputation. That's amazing. That's uh, mm-hmm. and you hear a, a, a lot of like really uh, you know r- uh, you know great teachers. This you know it's I've, I've thought about a curriculum, but I, I never got yeah. around to it. Or yeah. I, I like to treat every student individually, and and, right. and it seems yeah, I see be- benefits of both. You mm-hmm. know for sure, but that's that's great, and that's got to make it easier too, uh, as far as maybe presenting that to the parent or that the teacher, the student knows that they're working towards something that's very like, yeah, uh, you they can conceive. You have a direction. Mm-hmm. When I studied with Jim Blackley, we studied out of um, the his um, his jazz drumming book, and I'm blanking on the name here. Um, but he used to say that it was fragment-free. It didn't have a little bit of this, and it didn't have a little bit of that. It had uh, some material that progressed and actually went somewhere. And this is why I think our retention rate with students was was sometimes several years because there was a continuity. And, of course, we could break off and teach them if you wanted to learn uh, a song by the Chili Peppers or if you wanted to learn uh, whatever song, we would do that. But then we would also go back and say, well, see how what we just learned here in the Chili Peppers, this is what we were doing back in Chapter 2 with those dotted eight sixteenths on the bass drum. So it was, it was really good. It was good. And... And I found out what kind of player and human I was and, and that I needed some kind of structure um, as as an adult and certainly needed structure as a, as a teacher. And it helped me being a parent as well, having some kind of, you know, some some I don't want to say discipline, but some structure and some some guidelines, let's just say so. Yeah, you know, you talk about your your teacher. What was your discovery? I, am, am I to understand that you kind of came to drums a little bit later than most oh, people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What what's the, what was, was that like? Um, I had no idea that it was uh, possibly a disadvantage. I remember speaking to a friend of mine in high school who was <clears throat> the drummer in the stage band and the concert band, and, and I used to watch him play along with Sabbath songs in his basement, and he had the lights going and everything. And, and I didn't start playing till November 1985, and I was three months shy of turning 19. And I said to my friend, I said, man, I think I want to I play drums. And he said, nah, you're, it's, it's, you're too old. It's too late. You've never had any formal training. And I'm like, really? So in my mind, I'm like, you're going to eat those words. Right, so right. I saw him maybe 15 years ago, something like that. And I, and I reminded him of our conversation, and, uh, he, and he laughed. I said, you don't remember this, do you? He goes, nope, don't remember it at all. I said, this fueled me for years. He says, well, it's good then, right? That was a really good thing that, you know, it, it fueled you and spurred you on and made you want to to practice and, and get better at it when you could have just easily said, nah, I don't want to practice. So, But I was um, 
I was older for sure. And I hear, I, I talk to my guests and, and, oh, I was five years old. I was three years old. Yeah. Sean Horton was like two years old when he started playing drums. And, and so he was, he was two years old starting playing drums in 1985. And I was 18 in 1985. I'm thinking, hey, man, we're playing drums. We started at the same time. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's quite the coincidence. And I played a year and a half on my own and went, okay, I have no idea what's going on in these Rush songs, but I need to figure this out because I'm going to be the drummer in Rush or something <laughs> of that. Not, you know, realizing that they already had a Neil and he was already pretty good. Yeah, that's right. So I started studying at Ontario College of Percussion in April of 87 with the school's principal. It was a private um, little school. It was back in its heyday in the 60s and the 70s. This was a really great place. The um, the teaching, the curriculum was, was jazz and Latin-based. So I started there with Paul Robson, the founder, and he kicked my butt. He... We started off essentially. I thought I could play a little bit, and and we started off with the grip. And he said, "Play me, play me a double stroke roll." I played for a nanosecond, and he said, "Okay, stop. We have to fix your grip." So, all of those formal things—the grip, note reading, and and motions, and paradiddles, and double strokes, and all of that stuff—it was it was hurled at me. And playing jazz and playing along with him, uh, he was playing. He'd be playing organ or keyboard and whatnot. So. And that was a real eye-opening experience because I was picking and choosing what I wanted to practice. Mm -hmm. And he said, hmm, you tell me that you want to be a professional drummer, yet you're picking and choosing what you want to practice because you don't like it. <gasps> and he totally called me out. And, and from then on, I was, I was I would definitely work harder at it. And I was practicing, you know, between four and five hours most days because <laughs> yeah. I needed to. So I didn't realize that starting later to answer your question, um, I didn't realize that it was, uh, would be a bit of a disadvantage. So I had a lot to make up for, but definitely practiced my tail off. Uh, and I still practice. And, and I think it still annoys my wife. <laughs> How long have you been out there? Um, <laughs> I, I have a I have a bed in there now. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I think you do. <laughs> do, do. Does it? I mean, can you hear it in the house? Is it loud in the house? Or you you hear it very little, com especially compared to what it was. You hear it. There's um, the uh, the dining room and living room is beside what they've done is they've triple insulated and space between the walls, extra drywall, all that stuff. Knowing that I was going to be out here. Yeah. for a while and have uh, a roster of students. So when you're inside the house, if you turn the TV on at a normal volume, you can't even hear it. So right, it's right. it's one, some parts of the house you don't hear it at all, which is so our bedroom, which is great. So for her, it's it's just your absence. It's not that it's not the sound. <laughs> it's oh, that's right. Yes, it's my absence right now. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, I missed you so much. I haven't seen you in 28 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's so funny. I mean, I, I've got uh, tr tried to soundproof a walk-in closet down here in my basement, yes. and and, right. it's, and it's it's worked pretty well. Uh, you can you know you can function upstairs and around the house and everything like that. And my my sons have grown up with it. As a matter of mm -hmm. fact, my oldest has gone to college and he's been gone for about a month now. And I asked him, wow. uh, I said, "Do you want me to send you a recording of, of my practicing?" <laughs> Uh, and then you can just put it in your room, just make you feel more at home. And yeah. he said, no, dad, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, don't need that. 
yeah, I know. My, my, my father-in-law lived here for, for a couple of months in late last year. And I used to feel so terrible because he would be working in, uh, in his, in the bedroom and in his office there. And I'd be, I'd have a student or I'd practice. And he's like, it doesn't bother me at all. He goes, I put my noise, noise canceling headphones on and I don't hear you. But yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody has been so great. My stepsons have been so great with, uh, over the years, over the last decade of me wailing away downstairs. Awesome. And they're like, we don't even hear it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Which well, I'm glad of. Well, when you do practice, what 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 do you do? What do you what do you work on? Man, all, all kinds of things. I'm glad you asked that. I I, I work on the Tommy Igo, the, the the great hands for a lifetime warm up. Trying to still trying to get that advanced one up to that that crazy tempo, <clears throat> and then I'll actually work out of many different method books. For example, I'll work out of um, the Ken and Wiley book. Yeah, Hal Leonard. Both yeah. of those books, I have those, and I actually teach out of those. I just want to make sure that I can play everything that I'm going to show the students. So I've been going through that again. I think I, geez, I did probably fifty some odd pages uh, yesterday in that book. I will work out of the Don George. Yes, um, as I was saying, he he was Neil Peart's first drum teacher. Neil was 13 when he studied with Don. Um, and uh, I think it was St. Catharines, yeah. and Don would have only been 18. But Don, um, Don and Neil passed away eight days apart. Sadly, um, uh, Don passed away on New Year's, yeah. New Year's Eve, I believe it was, or uh, yeah, something very close to that. So Don wrote a couple of books. One is a paradiddle-based book, and another one is a coordination book. And so I've been practicing out of those books and really enjoying that and i work out of the jim blackley books um wonderful books uh, the roll book and then his jazz book is absolutely incredible so i'm i'm a drum book junkie i must say i have yeah. i have an awful lot of them and some of them i, I worked through the chafee books the gary chester books sure. many years ago the paul robson series so i will go through any number of these um i really like Tommy Igo's um, Groove Essentials 1 and 2. Those are, are right. wonderful and right. will kick your butt. So all kinds of different things. And the Frank Brakes book, the Mel Bay, uh, the Complete Drum Set Method, I believe it's called. Holy smokes. That's some, some great material there, too. It is amazing. Uh, I, when I had a chance to speak with Pete Retzloff, who teaches at mm-hmm. the Drummers Collective, and he, yep. he's you know he's he's like, dude, I love these books. I, I use these books for uh, for teaching all the time. He says, but there's no other instrument. He pointed this out. I never realized there's no other instrument that has as many method books as right. the drum set player or the drummer. True. And as yes, like, and I own them all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know I'm a, it's in my 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 yeah. We've been cleaning things out over the last couple of of weeks or so since the, the renovations downstairs as well. So I have a lot less room. So I have a tote of modern drummer magazines and a few other books going to one of my students, and he's uh, probably of over a hundred modern drummer ma- magazines. Oh yes, all I know it's 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 pretty awesome. But that's a great observation. I never realized that that there's so many different right. approaches and things and and that you can do with the drum set. And, and yeah. uh, man, I love them. One thing I do want to mention is the sitting in with the big band series. Those are fabulous books it's steve fick is the drummer on mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. and man and the play-alongs are wonderful the jim riley uh book the uh survival guide for the modern drummer yep. you gotta have that that is so killing and his nashville book so yeah 
I work out of a bunch of things. It, it's there's no excuse, folks. I mean, there's right. so much information out there. Uh, you know, it, it and, and even even when I when I was talking to Peter Retzloff, I was like, so you know, what is your criticism of? It? He goes, no, no criticism of the books of the accessibility to information, but always keeping in mind that you can't rely on the books to right. learn a style. Uh, you can't use you know th- these wonderful books uh, to learn about jazz. But you have to know the history. You have to go in and discover things. And and as an old teacher of mine, a great uh, just jazz educator of mine from Columbus would say he'd hand me an album, give it, just give me an album, and say, "Listen to this for enjoyment first." That's wonderful. You know, and, and go give it a get a give it a few spins, and then let's start listening to what's happening here. In this Stan Kenton live recording or whatever, yeah, yeah. so so that 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 you you kind of fall in love and you make that connection on a on an emotional and visceral level, and it's not just pulling notes from the page, but it's actually coming from a different place because that's what separates just the real, just passionate players and and understanding styles and you know than than just learning it out of a books but but just the uh, uh, ability to learn so quickly in combination with everything that's online which is just crazy nuts yeah yeah that's a really good summation of everything that's absolutely spot yeah. on mm-hmm. i want to talk about uh playing with tribute acts and mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, ABBA Revisited that you've been mm-hmm. working with for some time uh it sounds like they they're just all over the place it's been uh, an absolute pleasure playing in this group. I started playing in tribute acts sometime in the mid 2000s um, while playing um, Elvis shows, doing playing a lot of Elvis um, tribute artists. They call them ETAs, Elvis uh, tribute artists instead of impersonators and whatnot. So, um, and that was my beginning into the tribute world was playing with Elvis, playing the different eras, playing the early stuff, playing the Vegas Elvis and the gospel stuff. And I'm telling you, that show absolutely wore me out. I bet. And, yeah. The Ronnie it, Tut it, stuff, man. <laughs> the Ronnie Tut stuff was, I remember uh, Roy LeBlanc, who is a, a fabulous uh, Elvis tribute artist. He used to say, I want you to play more Phil's. I said, pardon me, can you say that out loud again? He said, I want you to play a four bar fill. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, you mean four beats? He said, no, four whole bars. So it was, uh, yeah, it was amazing going, being able to play uh, the DJ Fontana stuff to playing the Ronnie Tut stuff and uh, any of the other session drummers that would have played on that, uh, the Buddy Harmons and Hal Blaine's that played on that stuff. So that was fun which led into playing uh, with several different other tribute acts. I play in a police tribute called Message in a Bottle, which is a lot of fun. I get to be Stuart Copeland and oh play gosh. traditional grip. And and um, and we've done a few uh, outdoor shows in the last month or so where we did play some police songs, and it was requiring a bit of a different setup, different symbols, and, and certainly a different approach. But I grew up playing that, so it was more of something that I knew. But playing... Neil Diamond playing Bee Gees and playing ABBA was a whole different ball game. I was a sub drummer in another ABBA show. And then when ABBA Revisited formed in late 2017, they said, do you want to be the drummer? I'm like, 
of course. And things just had just exploded with us over the, the last few years. And then, of course, with, with the situation we're in now, things are on, on, on hold. And we probably do about 65 to 70 shows a year. Soft seat theaters mostly. We played uh, two weeks at the Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas mm-hmm. last July, which was uh, which was really terrible. We hated it. it was, <laughs> we work an hour and a half a day essentially. Uh, it was it was absolutely wonderful. But playing uh, playing in this band is incredible because uh, every person in the band is amazing at what they do. Everybody really loves each other. We all we miss each other a whole lot right now because we haven't seen or done any shows since March. So, but playing the tribute world is, is a wonderful thing. It's almost, I could imagine what it would be like playing in a nationally known act, because as soon as we play our first song, people are, they know why they're there. They're there to hear Mamma Mia. They're here. They're there to, to hear dancing queen. So we've won them over. Whereas in a in an original act, sometimes if you're not as known, it's like okay, you've got to prove yourself. And yeah. Let's see if you guys are. So it, we're we're loved from the downbeat, and it's such a fun, family friendly show that and oh, it's and it, I can't say enough good things about it. I, I miss the family, and I love playing those shows. The venues are great. The money is was, is great. There's really not much to not like, you know. You know, they talk about the three things that make the ultimate gig, the the money, the hang, the mm-hmm. music. And if two of those three things are there, then you can, you know, it's 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 worth your time. I mean, it sounds yes. like you've, you've checked all three of those boxes. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know that I liked ABBA. I didn't know that I knew these songs. I didn't know that it was going to be this much fun. But when you play with musicians like our guitar player, R.B. Orr, Nick Pattison, and with and with one of the best bass players in Canada, Neil Newman, and man, how can that be a bad thing? And our Benny, um, you and Fernie, he, is, he looks like Benny, and his piano playing is unbelievable, as are some of the other, the subs that play in, in the show. If, if um, some of the, the regulars can't do it or the A band can't do it, I get to play with such good musicians. I always say that I'm the, I'm the lousiest one in the band. And, and <laughs> you know, and it's been, and Nick, of course, has some Gretsch guitars here, and he's like, here, let's take some pictures and show to Joe Carducci, the guitar, uh, the guitar manager of, of Gretsch. And, and um, oh man, it's it's been great exposure for the brand and great exposure for for all the musicians, and most importantly for for Aber Revisited. What are your responsibilities in that band? Is there anything special that you're doing besides just recreating drum parts for that show? I I run tracks at this point. So mm-hmm. we do have, when we're a six-piece band or when we're a nine-piece band, when we have backup singers and whatnot, we, we don't need the tracks as much because we have backup singers. But in Abbott, there's a whole lot of parts. There's a lot of percussion in there. And there are other instruments that we just plain do not have on stage so we have some tracks so i run the tracks um and ah and and kind of drive the bus as you know what that's like as Uh the drummer Uh you know just and and the flow and reading you know from from the body language of the four leads out front are we going into this song are we going to cut this tune just experience so um I don't really just press the button and start the tracks. It's it's like okay, the the whole flow of the show depends on 
uh, how we're getting into the next song. And we all have input on things like this. Like we should maybe not play this song tonight and replace it with this. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> just, just those kinds of things. Yeah. And, and what program are you using? Are you using SoundQ? Yeah, I've been well? using SoundQ from, from that, yes. And perhaps if we get into, we also have video that um, we have somebody externally run when we play theaters. There's a screen and a projector there. But if that changes to where I'm running, I'm bringing my Mac, um, I, I'll be running that from some other program as well. And I'm I'm looking forward to doing that because I like having some responsibility um, doing that if it would make the show better and we would would keep it just self-contained where we don't need a tech or don't need anybody else Mm -hmm. out front to run anything then i'll gladly do it from stage i think the opportunities to create a a well-produced show is greater than ever i mean from your laptop to to do a lot of these things I, I've never worked in that capacity in a, in a strictly tribute kind of situation, but it, it sounds like a lot of fun because it sounds like you can really kind of fine-tune a show, and again, you have instant fans. You really do fine-tune it over. When we were doing our Atlantis run, we had a couple of new songs that we would that we introduced, and, and as they the week went on, we're like, yeah, this is uh, one of us is really starting to sit in the pocket and feel nice and so you do you you do get to fine tune certain fills certain just variations on the groove and things like that and i love it because i get to to to, i don't i don't wear the the platform shoes and and the crazy outfits that they do but i do get to wear you know something other than jeans (laughs) (laughs) which which to me makes it you know when i was playing with megan patrick it was you could wear jeans and you could not you know maybe i I could wake up and have funky hair um you know meanwhile if i'm playing in a theater um, I'm, I'm going to feel like I'm going to want to get dressed up a little bit more. And it's, it's a mindset too. It's showtime and you look good and you're prepared. And it's just, I've done drama over the years and done some theater shows where I was an actor. And so I love that kind of thing. Yeah, there, I agree that the, there's something about it and, and getting the mindset as, and, and I mean, there's all kinds of shows that have, there's pros and cons to every kind of situation. And yeah. sometimes even like, uh, you know, playing the, playing an old smoky bar or something like that, it has mm-hmm. its, its looseness, its fun. But uh, there is something about, you know, a very formulated kind of theater show or um, mm-hmm. where it, 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 it's an event. You know, it, and really it, can, is. it can be exciting. And uh, I think that's where I get that's where I start to feel nervous. You know, when I <laughs> yeah, even at this stage in my life sure. uh, and, and, and playing, I'm going, what, what is this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, nerves. It's like, th- but this is yeah. fun because then you get through it and you're like, well, wow, that was exciting. Yes. It can be very yes. cool. Uh, little trivia side note speaking of Ronnie Tut. Um, you know, and Neil Diamond and Elvis. And so Ronnie played with Elvis, as we all know, and he also played with Neil Diamond. But the, That's right. The curious thing about it is, with Elvis, you know, it was like different every night, and it was yes. encouraged. With Neil, yeah. it was this is this is the part. Play it the same every single night, and then yeah. Ronnie had to shift his focus. Um, I have a, a f- friend who has friends with uh, his son and other people, uh, and uh, James Burton, and yeah. uh, so he's going to try and make. The, I just had lunch with him two days ago, 
and he said, I'm going to, let's see if we can't get Ronnie Tut. To, wow. So it's like, that'd be great. Oh man, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I've got a couple questions on some Elvis parts that he played that helps us. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. Dude, man. I may have oh. to reach out to you. Any questions, <laughs> you know? Yeah, okay. actually he played on, um, Piano Man by Billy Joel. Are you serious? Yeah, that's Ronnie Tut on that. Yep, he played on that record. <sighs> and man, how, uh, and really, like, I don't know if you really listen to those those drum fills, That's those things that he played are just beautiful in that tune. Yeah. And I know Liberty DeVito absolutely was, was the man when it came to playing with Billy Joel, but man, from... Ronnie Tut, 1973, playing on that Billy Joel cut. There's some beautiful play, beautiful playing on that, man. It's very through-composed. I, I had, I had yeah. to learn that a couple years ago, and uh, it's not the same the whole way through. No. <laughs> it's not, no. <laughs> yeah, he was he was bringing that to the table at the time. I love that stuff, That's and I love learning that, that new stuff. Yeah. That's so fun, man. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. And all those, you, you find out different musician different drummers playing on on different art you know the, there's the set drummer right. for our different bands but you know like hey do you know so and so played on this track or right you know yep it's not oh, just the beatles I, it's it's other I, I love that steve smith played on brian adams cut uh heaven the yep. ballad and steve was in new york apparently i believe it was new york and cut that he said hey i have an afternoon and 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 that's some beautiful playing on. I love reading liner notes, man, and yeah, just just yeah. geeking out on on my favorite drummers and played on whatever tracks. You, you know, know I, I remember Steve telling me that uh, when we oh, when we wow. spoke, and I, I but I forgot I forgot that yeah. that, that that stuff is this is so cool. Uh, um, uh, Carmina Peace was telling me about playing on Dogs of War off wow. of uh, the Pink Floyd song. And wow. I'm like, what? Nick Mason didn't play? You know, I'm just right. you know, all that 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 interesting stuff. That's awesome. Um, are you recording at all at home? Are you doing anything? I am. I'm just getting that buck up and running. I started doing some home recording. I think it was April, May. Just just getting familiar with microphone placement and getting some sounds. And yep, I've been recording um, drum tracks. Just some the play along, the sitting with the big band things because um, they're very well recorded and there's versions that have no click in them so you are really playing with the band and it's it's wonderful i haven't done any tracks for any artists yet but um should be ready to do something um really anytime just getting mics and things uh set up in this new space yeah and um oh man it's it's been such a learning curve as well and i was encouraged by some some drummers that and uh, that that do this and engineers and I'm like okay why does my snare sound like this and and they would give me some hints on EQ and and just general advice it's wonderful yeah yeah I, I, there's so many of us that are in this boat right now or taking advantage <laughs> yes. of the downtime to yes. try and play catch up to some of us or say us some of those that have been doing it for for many years uh, again right. the technology is allowing us. To do this, and as Tommy Igo said many years ago, uh, before we had the nicer interfaces that we do now, uh, but but many years ago we had the opportunity to record, and he said there's yeah. no excuse to not Absolutely. be recording yourself, uh, practicing gigs, uh, yeah. listen back the benefit of listening, uh, albeit somewhat painful, but so yes. beneficial. 
I agree. Uh, sometimes it's like, oh, man, okay. Yeah, when you listen back to the take that you think was good and you're like, I totally rushed that intro, Phil. What is wrong with me? How much coffee have I had? Right, right. <laughs> that felt good at the time. What, what, oh. Why Why? Why is it, you know, that's what, yeah. it, it is so funny. Like there's, but there's so many gigs where you're like, oh, that, that was awful. And the band was like, that was great. Or the, I know. Or you're oh. thinking, that was smoking and like no reaction. Like what? Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> going on with that well um it i let me ask you something about like at this stage of your life um mm-hmm. you, you talked about um a, a kind of focusing on health mm-hmm. on on diet exercise different things like that yeah. um it, how what what encompasses those things how has that been beneficial to you as a, as a person, as a drummer over the last uh, decade and a half or so? And, um, and have there been any issues that you've had to contend with? The issues that I've had over the years have been um, low back issues. I raced motocross when I was uh, young up until I was 18 uh-huh. uh, and really and, and rode a motorcycle on the road until I was 20. But um, so the knees were a little funky and the low back was a little funky. And so I've um, I've really had to make sure that I stretch, that I am um, in a good uh, at a good weight. I was. Uh, when I was, oh man, probably early 30s, I was um, definitely overweight. And there's a there's a pic of me on a tour bus with Mark Eakins, and people can't believe that it's me because it was, it looks drastically different than than what I do do now. So, and you know, it creeps up on you when you're uh, at a certain age, you're starting a family, you're you're young enough, but you're you're old enough that you're you're kind of just not thinking about what you're eating. So um, I I needed to reel that in a little bit and started when I turned 50. I I said, okay, before I turn 50, I want to be at a good weight and and got down to 162, 165, something like that. And I'm just shy of six feet tall. So it was definitely lean. Um, And then I started doing the keto diet a couple of years ago and had very, very good success with that, and it alleviated some joint issues that I might have had. Oh, wow. Okay. Possibly some inflammation, as well as um, it alleviated any kind of acid reflux. Um, so, but I've had over the last few years a left shoulder problem that I've I started going to um, uh, a physiotherapist during neuro, neurokinetic physiotherapist, mm-hmm. and he was figuring out why the shoulder is acting up, you know, was it really calcific tendonitis, as I was told, and why didn't the shot that the doctor gave me work? Why didn't that work uh, for very long? Well, because it's not what. So nevertheless, it's just being educated more about muscle imbalances in my body and posture. I had a lesson with Dave Weckl, uh, a virtual lesson in June, and that was really, really eye-opening as far as how I was moving and how the drums were set up around me. And I sent him the video and he was like, so your drums are too low. <laughs> I'm like, okay. He, he was so great. He goes, you're not old, but you're getting, <laughs> you're getting there. <laughs> and Dave couldn't have been more direct, but kind at the same time. Yeah. So it's made me realize that, um, 
I really need to be careful of the placement of everything and not just set something up and play it and then adapt my body. I need to have a setup that is that is consistent. So being aware of uh, posture, being aware of diet and, and not drinking um, pop, not drinking, you know, I guess they call it soda in the States. Uh, <laughs> we call it pop up here, right? We call and it pop all, in Ohio too. They call it pop. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. Not drinking a lot of that stuff. Though this last week, my wife and I have not been very good, but um, we get back on on track and, and, and I feel a lot better doing the keto thing because it keeps me at uh, at a good weight, and it keeps my blood sugar um, at, at, a, at a in a good spot. It it just works for me. So, and just paying attention to everyday things, and just making sure that I'm limber. The, the thing about your that you mentioned in the keto diet was not only the benefits of controlling weight, but also inflammation, and yeah. that's another thing that you have to take in consideration when you think of just all the other parts of your body that you're using in the small muscle movements and ligaments and and all these things and just becoming educated with the stress and what we're asking our bodies to do right to perform you know at its peak and the abuse that your body can take up to a point up to a certain age and then being aware of that and i'm finding that i'm i'm trying to find ways to make sure that i'm keeping inflammation under control uh yeah. and and because man you know i i just i think it was yesterday i had to sit down and work on some stuff and right before i went to go in my drum room i got this feeling like huh. i'm like oh gosh I, I, this is gonna be fun i can't wait to sit down and i'm yeah. like i still I still have that feeling, that excitement about playing, and that tells me, dude, you better take care of yourself because you still get excited. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, we've all heard the stories of of drummers that we know that were super successful, but they can't play any longer because um, their elbow or shoulder or knees or whatever part or a wrist, any of those joints, if those go, we're done. Yeah. We're going to need to to do something else, and I'm not ready to do something else. Right. right. I find for me playing the V drums, and as much as they have that, that the mesh heads and all that, I would play those harder than I would play mm-hmm. an acoustic set. So that has we've discovered last week at the physio session that my left bicep from playing the snare drum and a short range short motion. That was irritating that and irritating my elbow, irritating my shoulder. And it's amazing what you learn about your body when somebody that is a professional can tell you, oh, well, didn't you notice that you were you're you're bent a certain way or you were your shoulder you were just off kilter and but you compensate and you don't realize that you're compensating. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Those little those little movements. Uh, it it's 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 really interesting. Uh, it just those little adjustments can make a world of of difference. Uh, yeah. Indeed. In, in that, uh, Neil, you've you've been a, a an amazing guest as well as uh, uh, I know you're you're hosting things, but you I don't know if if you've had the same uh, interview chops. 
that you had before you uh, started your Gretsch afternoon drum break. But man, I've really enjoyed this conversation. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And all the best to you, my friend. Hey, one more time. Give uh, let everyone know Gretsch afternoon drum break when and where. Gretsch Afternoon Drum Break Fridays, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are live on Instagram. You can find me at Drummer Neil or on the Facebook page, Gretsch Afternoon Drum Break. I love it. Neil, great to talk to you. Great to catch up. I'm hoping uh, when all this stuff goes away, we can connect again and maybe have lunch again. I'd Uh, love that all by this time. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Neil, take care. I will be in touch, man. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there you go, my conversation with Neil LaFortune. Hope you enjoyed that. Neil, uh, for me, embodies so much of what I love about Canada, just his kindness and just ease of conversation. And I'm real excited about this new project that he's got with the Gretsch Afternoon Drum Break. Again, I encourage you to check that out. Big thanks to James Beyer and Beyer Snare Drums, who's been a big support to the podcast in recent months. I encourage you to check those out. That's B-E-I-E-R, kind of spelled like beer with an I in the middle. Check out Beyer Snare Drums. And I hope you've enjoyed some of the samples and examples that we've had on the podcast in recent months. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with Adam Elisi, an L.A. working drummer and longtime drum tech for Greg Bissonette. But for now, thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay positive, keep practicing, and uh, hope to see you around. Bye-bye.